0: Hear ye, hear ye, word nerds. Be forewarned that this podcast contains saucy language of the modern and early modern varieties. So plan your listening accordingly. Or don't. That's a choice that you can make. But don't say we didn't warn you.
1: So I uh, did a lot of driving this weekend and was thinking on the way on one of those drives that, like, I should just start on the podcast introducing myself as Dr. Jess Hamlet because... I worked hard for that doctorate, but also maybe it will lend us some gravitas. (laughs) There there aren't a lot of things we lack on this podcast, but gravitas is maybe, we're maybe coming up a little short in that area.
0: (laughs) How dare you? How dare you? How dare you? We have gravitas coming out of our asses. Mm, Do we? (music) you. <music>
1: Welcome to the Hurley Burley Shakespeare Show. We are your hosts, Dr. Jess Hamlet.
0: And not Dr. Aubrey Whitlock. And together we are Dr. Whamlet. Yeah, we fucking are. (laughs) And this week is
1: As You Like It 301. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoy the show and come back for more. Today we are talking about uh, why as you like it.
0: Yeah, why as you like it. And also, apparently, of uh, some kind of celebrity death match between the new Oxford and the Wiggins. It's, no, which, like no, no. I would it's pay no. money to see no <laughs> claymation celebrity no. death match.
1: I mean, yeah, oh, I would please, pay money please, to see please, that. Yes. But anyway, <laughs> this it's, all—it's all rolled into totally. Y, as we like yeah. It. yeah.
0: So, uh, in a three hundred one level episode, we hope you know this by now. But if you don't, if you've just like stumbled here by accident, this is a lawless place. There are no rules in a three hundred one level. Episode, it's you know, graduate level or doctorate level or whatever. So that means we do the what the fuck we want. So, there, right? So we do operate. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What are you saying? We don't have gravitas, clearly, gravitas, just fucking (laughs) hands. Uh,
1: the the only rule of 301s, uh, if there are rules, which there are not, but if there is a rule. Uh, the only one is that we assume that you are familiar with the play. Yeah. So be familiar with the play. Uh, if you don't familiar with the play, <laughs> if you are not <laughs> familiar with the play, um, we have uh, we have an app for that. Uh, yeah. We have episodes for that is what yeah. we, we have. There are also many, many apps out there in the world that will familiarize you with this play. Our two one episode is episode thirty six. <laughs> So it's been a minute. Season uh, two I think. Y- yeah. Barely. Somewhere in there, yeah. Um and then uh our number our one oh one, the first one is episode four. Yeah. So if you go back that far, please forgive us uh the sound quality. Yeah. We got better. <laughs> yeah, you know. We got better. Yeah. Um anyway, they're they're out there for you if you yeah. need them.
0: There they are. Uh, In general, (laughs) 301s explore a single aspect of a play. But again, we do what we want. We will birdwalk a lot. Mm. uh, Our cats will interrupt. Mm. And that is our life now. (laughs) Whatever we do, we do it with Gravitas.
1: Gravitas. This is my... Professor of Shakespeare Gravitas <laughs> voice mm, And now I it, it is time For the happiest of hours mm, yes. In which We recommend things That we like Sometimes yes. those things are puppies And sometimes those things Are anti-racist pedagogy yes. But always those things Are things that we like And make us happy Yes Dun dun dun
0: such gravitas. Um I don't know. It
1: needed the ne- yeah. we needed like dramatic yes. music. Yes.
0: Um I mean I can't think of anything better than the law and order gavel or the
1: Don't sue us so. as SPU NBC
0: whoever you are. <laughs> um so to really kick it off with um letting everyone know what a serious adult that I am with gravitas. Uh, there's been a bit of a cold snap in our region, and I and I have rediscovered my love of adult onesies. Mm. I have a really great one from Torrid that's like fleece. It's mm. very cozy, and I plan to climb into it and be in it all day. Um, mm-hmm. But also, uh, you know, not because they're our sponsor or anything, but the brand <laughs> Tomboy X has, one, the most comfortable underwear I have ever put on my body, and it's great. But they also have a really great line of adult onesies with, like, dinosaurs on them. And also, the one that I have is, it's got unicorns. Rainbow, rainbow shooting unicorns. Love that for you. And I just love hanging out in my onesie. Um, (laughs) It's a comfort thing. It's a mm-hmm. snuggle up on a snow day When you've gotten a bunch of snow mm-hmm. Which is exactly mm-hmm. what I did yesterday So that is what I love right now
1: I love that for you <laughs> yeah, I um I bought some Tomboy X underwear And I do not love it As much as really? you love it No, I find it um, I mean, it's fine uh, But I, I do not find it Ridiculously comfortable I prefer the stuff that I got from Woxer Hmm I've not seamless. heard of them, but yeah,
0: yeah I like them. They're, they, they're, they're not, size inclusive too, which is yes, something yeah, that I really
1: like. Boxer is slightly less size inclusive. Yeah. Um, I think they go up to 3X or something, which is not not far enough, Waxer. I love
0: their okay. boxer briefs. Mm-hmm. When I discovered them last summer, mm-hmm. um, because I always have the problem, you know, chub rub under the skirt. And I it's it's yep. always deterred me from wearing anything skirty. Mm-hmm. Um but they have long enough briefs mm-hmm. that, like, I don't have to wear panties and then thick-ass mm-hmm. bike shorts and then a skirt or a dress. Mm-hmm. I can just wear fucking boxer briefs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just nicer for my undercarriage in the summertime. And, yes, yeah. we've already verged into the TMI zone. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, let's Because keep we have rolling. gravitas. Let's keep That's that TMI right. rolling. Yeah. Um, all right. So <laughs> are you... Dear listener, a person with body hair. Who has body hair in places that you would like not to have body hair in, and are you sick of shaving? Why,
0: well, yes, yes, I am all the time, always Kay. sick of shaving. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. If the why answer's I yes done in a while,
1: <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. same. So, like, I didn't shave for two years because pandemic, right? Yeah, right. Uh, pandemic hair. Yeah, who hasn't done pandemic that. Pandemic hair. Don't care. Uh, yeah. because no one was seeing my body. Um, except for me, and like it's because we we're lounging around in onesies half the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just not um, doing anything. However, hmm. I I now have uh, an adult relationship, hmm. uh, <laughs> and so uh, you know my my legs are being seen um, by people who are not me a person, one person, one particular person, (laughs) but also, uh, because I have a job now, um, and I'm like back in the classroom every day, uh, and it's getting to be springtime. Like, and I do, I am a skirt wearer. I'm a frequent skirt wearer. Mm -hmm. Um, but fucking like I'm done with shaving. I'm over shaving. I don't want to do it. It hurts. It makes my skin itchy and Mm -hmm. my skin so sensitive anyway that like, I can't shave more than like once a week. So yeah. Ma. And then I was on the internet. You've heard of the internet. I have. I have indeed. You I've are heard familiar of this internet. with its ways and means. Yes. Um, And I stumbled across something that lit a light bulb in my memory. So my mom died when I was 11. Um, And for most of my life, she was sick. So this is, these are like, Early memories, like pre-cancer. Um, so she used to epilate, which is gonna sound gnarly when I tell you what it is, but I am now a convert. Um, epilators look like electric razors. Like you've you've seen like the electric, you know. Yeah, that's what they look like. Um, some of them have a cord, some are battery-powered, mine has a cord. So what an epilator is essentially is like electric tweezers. Uh-huh. Yeah. So you like you roll it you know up and down your leg and it pulls the hair out by the root. Yeah. Uh and you might be thinking to yourself, "Wow, that sounds painful." It does. It does uh, sound painful. And you would be correct. <laughs> it was painful. Um however, it has now been uh about a week and a half and my legs are still fucking silky ass smooth.
0: Ooh. Well.
1: Uh-huh. So, um, you know, I just did, I did knee to ankle uh, on both legs and I hadn't shaved in probably two weeks uh, before that. So my hair was, you know, long-ish. And I don't know if the length of the hair has any effect on how long it took me. But I think it took probably about 10 minutes per leg. Um, so it takes more time than shaving. But. And it was painful, not unbearable, not unbearable at all. Not (laughs) as painful as that. Um, There you go. But, you know, now I I have beautifully silky smooth legs. There was no like post shave irritation. Um, No, I'm not itchy. Uh, The only thing is that they say that you want to epilate at night um, because you are essentially tweezing all of your legs, so you you'll get a little bumpy, but mm-hmm. then um, that goes away overnight. So then you wake up in the morning oh. and your legs are smooth as can be. Huh. So I just yeah, uh, my 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 brand new epilator was like thirty five bucks. Um, I will never go back. I don't think um, it is painful but bearable, mm-hmm. and they say that the more. You do it, the less painful it gets. And Mm. also, because you are pulling the hair out by the root, you do it for a long enough amount of time and the hair just stops growing. So, Hmm. And I think a long enough amount of time, in this case, is like five or ten years. Uh, But, you know, that's a price I'm willing to pay. You know, everybody needs long-term goals. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And like, you know, 35 bucks versus like laser hair removal. <laughs> yeah.
0: Or constantly, you know, getting new razors mm-hmm. or, you know. Which are bad for the environment anyway. Totally. Totally. Yeah. You're just doing your part. Have you tried Damn. it, not to be totally too TMI, but have you tried it
1: anywhere besides your legs like pits no, or anything? I have oh, not. Um okay. I I the next place that I explore will be the armpit. Mm-hmm. Um but the the hair needs to be a certain length, yeah. Um, and I think I I missed my shot on like it's spring like break. Too long and, and it won't
0: work, or no, I too, think too short and it won't. Too work. short and it won't. Oh, yeah, gotcha. yeah, because it needs something to grab. Yeah,
1: Um yeah. So maybe maybe over Easter I can fascinating go wild a little bit <laughs> and, <laughs> and see how that goes. Yeah. Um, I I mean, uh, yeah. I'm spring break. I'm,
0: I'm going to epilate my
1: armpits. Whoop, yeah, whoop. Right. Yeah. I'm, I was, I was, this yeah. is
0: This is spring break in your thirties kids. This is what you girl. have to look forward to girl.
1: <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, I am, I am out here singing its praises. Awesome. Uh, I have made everyone I encountered this weekend feel my legs. I was like, yo, look at my legs, feel my legs. It's been like a week. Wow. Um, <laughs> just aggressive about it but you know i it's uh i so i'm singing i'm singing the praises yeah. you can you can find them i think f- anywhere from 10 bucks to like 200 right but yeah you know mine was 35 it plugs in it has a cord it, it, it it's not battery anything i can't use it like in the shower um but i'm i'm not mad at it yeah. Well, my just, takeaway from
0: this happy yeah. hour, hoppy hour, happy hour, hoppy where we hop, hop, hop around. Um, what I'm <laughs> taking away from this happy hour uh, is that you and I look. Apparently, the I think the thread here is self care.
1: Yeah, right? we have yeah. we
0: have found some some self care stuff mm-hmm. that we like ranging from like comfortable stuff to wear when you're feeling snuggly or like making your body itself feel a little more silky smooth and smug snuggly yeah.
1: so you know. also smug i do and like smug. to make my body feel smug
0: <laughs> very smug about my hairlessness thank you yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah so there uh, there it is maybe a little tmi but like self-care requires a little bit of tmi sometimes
1: yeah i also I have, one, I have one more wreck for oh, y'all yes okay sorry um, this is not self-care. So I'm teaching okay. a class on true crime in the fall. Fun. Um, yeah. Which means I've been listening to a lot of true crime podcasts to okay. figure out what I'm going to teach. Um, and this rec came to me courtesy of friend of the pod, Courtney and Parker, um, who, you know, also happens to be my best friend. What up, Courtney? Shout out to Courtney. Um, it's called up and vanished podcast. Uh, It is in its third season right now, and I am um, maybe three quarters of the way through season one, which is like the season. A woman went missing. Cold case. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And over the course of this guy's podcast on this case, Mm -hmm. they solved the case. Cool. They're like arrests because were made. of his
0: because of his investigation, or like well, because he was looking into it,
1: or it's hard to say. But it it does seem to say because the 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 girl went missing in two thousand five, and then he started working on this podcast in like twenty sixteen. Yeah. Um. So it seems like the podcast brought some renewed interest, mm-hmm. and things started to come out. Mm. um and there were like message boards and so it it seems like i don't think it like he didn't solve the case but he certainly fucking helped yeah um and it it is it's a wild ride um but i also want to shout out his third season which i think is is like currently happening right now, mm-hmm. um, which takes on uh, the case of uh, a missing Indigenous woman, mm. um, and I've not yet listened to the season, so this is coming secondhand. But there's a, a lot of uh, reckoning in that season with whose cases do we care about? Who is true mm-hmm. crime for? About, mm. yeah. etc. Um, and I think that's, uh, an important and necessary conversation to be having right now, but also like in this class that I teach. Yeah. Um, so just to, to throw that out there, um, listen to Up and Vanished. Cool. <laughs> and well, now maybe right. we should talk about Shakespeare.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, um, yep. Let's get right back on the path. Yeah. You know, nice long happy hour bird walk. That's great. Yeah. Um, okay, As You Like It, why now? Why this play now? What does As You Like It have to say to 2022 and beyond?
1: Well, the obvious, right, is the that this is um, a little bit of a gender-bending play. Yeah. Um, yeah. And in this moment, P.S., call your fucking senators and congressmen and congresswomen and congress people just call all of your elected representatives Mm -hmm. and tell them to leave trans people the fuck alone right damn (gasps) um so that (laughs) you know that Mm -hmm. that can be used to speak to this moment yep um yep that's that's i think the obvious link to to 2022 uh what do you think
0: Yeah, um, you know, this play has a lot to say about gender Mm -hmm. and about attraction. Mm -hmm. Um, And, I mean, just like, go on the journey for a moment of, you know, Rosalind's is a little more clear-cut, right? She decides to disguise herself as a boy, um, and then she ends up like tutoring the guy she loves as a, as a guy, like there, there's so much in, in there about like masculinity and what it means to be a man and for, have mm-hmm. and the irony of a female bodied person teaching a man, what it means to be a man. Right. And like what romantic love is in that. Um, but also, mm-hmm. you know, Orlando's side of it, the, the attraction You know, um, like I've played Orlando. I think there's, I think there's attraction going on between Orlando and Ganymede Mm -hmm. as much, if not more than the attraction, the initial attraction between Orlando and Rosalind at the beginning of the play. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I think this play has a lot to teach us about, um, just about that kind of attraction and like and and how gender plays into that if it does you know um pansexuality even like or you know or bisexuality or um yeah like you can go in a number of directions with with that i think it's the first thing i would go to
1: yeah so on that note um i want to i want to pull us to the new oxford um lovely so one of the things that the new oxford does that i really like is instead of your standard um like four to five page introduction to a play Uh that the editor writes um what they do is they just excerpt criticism from the last 400 years so like you know there are three to four sentences from Uh critics 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 and then um at the very end of that they have a like a fast facts little box that we've shared some of that material over the last several years with you um and the the very first thing in this little box is called rosalind the heading is rosalind and it says the largest female role in Shakespeare's plays, period. Her cross-dressing allowed early actresses to show off their legs.
0: Did they have epilators? I'm
1: kidding. I'm going to go with no. Um,
0: well, then what even is the point of showing off your legs?
1: Well, okay. this is my question. Is why 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 why
0: why bring that up
1: why Why did it allow them to show off their legs i mean i understand why why it allowed them to show off their legs because it's a pants roll
0: right she's wearing stockings showing off their calves right
1: and you know if we if we accept perhaps that by the 1750s women were playing rosalind right um then we we can accept that women playing Rosalind in this play would have been exposing their legs. Sure. Which is, you know, scandalous. Ooh. <sighs> legs. My uh-huh. question, I think with how this is presented here in the new Oxford mm-hmm. is, I feel like I'm missing information for why, why they felt like they needed to say this. Mm. Because do they also say it about Imogen? Do they also say it about Viola?
0: Should I look?
1: Well, if you want to. I'm going to assume that they fucking don't. Yeah. So it feels a little... Like, are we trying to be feminist and coming off poorly? Are we trying to be sexist and coming off... Spot on. Sexist? Yeah, Yeah, like who decided that that needed to be said some man (sighs) yeah probably you know this this particular part of this text was edited by francis x connor who i do not know but i'm going to assume based on the spelling of the name is a man Mm -hmm. i just i'm i it i read that and i went i just i feel uncomfortable with it Mm -hmm. and i'm i'm not super sure why except that it feels like It doesn't need to be said.
0: Yeah. It's bringing up talking about a woman's body for no other reason than to talk about a woman's body. Yeah. Which happens to women on a fairly frequent basis pretty Mm. much all the time.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's a sexualizing, in a way, of this character and the actresses who got to play her um, for no reason other than to sexualize them. Mm -hmm. And to talk about their bodies. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they definitely don't say it about Viola. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yep, they also don't say it about Imogen. So, what the hell? Yeah, why sexualize this one? Yeah. Mm. Uh, I wonder if they say it about uh, Julia in Two Gents. Mm. Right? She's got a tiny little pants roll. Yeah. Also, no. No. Nothing about anyone else's legs. What the fuck?
0: Yeah. Why are we talking about, is it, you know what, is it a way to like, I'm not, I'm, I, I don't want to ascribe intention um mm-hmm. to this person, but the mm-hmm. impact of saying first that this is the largest female role
1: mm-hmm. in
0: Shakespeare's plays, it's true, Rosalind has the most lines of any female assigned character in the canon, yep. Um. It is then un- immediately undermined and undercut by talking about her body. Yeah. Um, And it feels like uh, that happens that happens to women and other marginalized people so often. It's like, Mm -hmm. look at this thing. That's a legitimate, you know, exception or Mm -hmm. achievement in some Mm -hmm. way. Something outstanding for this marginalized person. Let's undercut it with something that immediately re marginalizes them. Yeah. That's what that looks like to me. Yeah. That's yeah. like that's like saying, "Hey, uh, you know, Roxanne Gay, you're such a great feminist. Can you lose 200 pounds though?"
1: Yeah, you know? Mhm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that I'm just concerned about her health. Right. Right. I just like want she her can to be say healthy. all those things that she
0: want and she's so brilliant, but like uh-huh. I'm really concerned about her health.
1: I need her to stick around so that she can keep saying these things.
0: Right. Right. Yeah, that's exactly it's... what that feels like. That's Yeah. That's yeah. exactly what that is.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, thanks for helping me parse that. That made me Yeah. existentially itchy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um so then that's that's like the most problematic thing this new Oxford says, but then it goes on to say um that there there's no evidence that this play was performed ever before like the 1740s huh yeah which is baffling to me Um, how can that be this is the question so it says the the new oxford says um some have argued for court performances in 1599 and or 1603, but there's no documentary evidence. Charles Johnson's 1723 clown adaptation, Love in a Forest, is the first known production. Shakespeare's original is first known to have been performed at Covent Garden in 1740, a popular production that made the play one of Shakespeare's most frequently performed. The play's forest setting has made it a favorite for outdoor performance. Which again, yeah, like how can that be? So then I pulled up the Wiggins... <laughs> And I'm more inclined to give weight to the Wiggins. I'm not sure why, except that the Wiggins is so encyclopedic. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is what the Wiggins has to say about early performances. So 1603, tradition has it that this is the play which the King's men performed at Wilton House on Friday, the 2nd of December. The audience included King James I, Arabella Stewart, who found it, quote, ridiculous. Um, whatever the play may have been, the company made a special trip from Mortlake, and John Hemmings was later paid £30 for the performance by a warrant dated Saturday, the 3rd of December. Hmm. Um, there, the, there is... So there's no... We cannot definitively say that this is the play that was performed at Wilton House uh, in 1603. There is another contender for that. Mm -hmm. Um, But then it also says that it was reported in 1669 as having been in the repertory of the King's Men at the Blackfriars between 1609 and 1642. So while the, the New Oxford is perhaps correct that there is no hard and fast documentary evidence to suggest Mm -hmm. that the play was performed um, in Shakespeare's lifetime or very closely thereafter. It boggles the mind to think that the Kingsmen had this play and didn't do it. Yeah. Um, Especially because we, you know, have we're supposed to think you know that oh well Shakespeare played Adam in this play like that's one of the roles that we know Shakespeare played he was Adam he was the ghost of old Hamlet he was I forget who else but like old
0: man roles yeah he was he
1: played old men because he was an old man apparently and there's so much early textual history like so much pages and pages and pages of early textual history Mm -hmm. so like we can track it on the page why can't we track it on the stage and i know that the absence of evidence is not evidence of absence Mm -hmm. so can't it just be that perhaps the evidence for performances of this play have just been lost to time sure yeah you know? of course yeah. i just i can't i cannot like if you're gonna if you're shakespeare and it is your job to write plays that your yeah. company is then going to perform why are you going to write a play they're not going to perform right you know right.
0: i mean maybe you know I, I mean one thing one thing that we we do kind of see as a trend in in textual history right is like you know, plays, As You Like It is one of the, about 50% of Shakespeare's plays that only is found in the folio, right? Yes. Uh, and and if a play was popular enough, right, it, it, it often got printed in quarto form, right, a few mm-hmm. years after first performance. Like if peop- if there was enough of a demand and if it was worth mm-hmm. it to print it in cordo, then it would be printed separately in cordo, right? That's why we well, have another half of the plays in quarto. So, like, what if As You Like It was a flop in its time?
1: So here's the thing about this play not being in quarto is there is a note from 1600 in the stationer's register that says that the publication of this play and three other plays in the Lord Chamberlain's men's rep um, was prevented. Huh. Yeah.
0: Prevented. And we don't know why.
1: No. Um, it's all that it gender says, bending yeah it says publication it was too gay Uh (laughs) uh-huh uh-huh yeah too much cross-dressing too (laughs) much
0: singing it was just too gay
1: (laughs) but then also like one of the one of the songs in this play um it was a lover and his lass yeah does in fact appear in print with musical setting in 1600 in a collection of like songs so it kind of seems like there were plans To print this,
0: and then it didn't,
1: and then it didn't work out for whatever reason. Yeah. Huh. Hmm. Uh huh.
0: Fascinating. I feel like we could have a whole separate offshoot of this podcast looking into cold case mysteries like this. Like, why didn't (laughs) why didn't this play get printed at the time? Like,
1: why? Yeah.
0: You know, it's not like you can go back and talk to witnesses. Sadly, but
1: right. I mean, someone out there, someone who's, like, an actual textual scholar and not me who pretends to be a textual scholar, (laughs) um, someone must have uh, a fairly good idea uh, about why, but that it's not even in the Wiggins, and the Wiggins is so encyclopedic, um, leads me to believe that it's something of a mystery. And I want to know um, what those other three plays were. Hang on. I think we we actually do know what those other three plays were. Give me a second. Sure. 11, you
0: do that, 13. and I'm just going to ruminate on on gender and what okay. this play still offers now. Um, you know what's funny? Okay, now that you know now that we've seen this like weird note about Rosalind, um, on that same page in the New Oxford, the very first quote. Of criticism again undercuts Rosalind in the play, and it's from 1985, so, like, you know, bear that in mind. But it says male friendship, exemplified by the reconciliation of Duke Sr. Mm-hmm. and Orlando, provides a framework that diminishes and contains Rosalind's apparent power. Which, like, you're the editor, Francis X. Uh, Connor not o'connor connor um like you're handpicking these little pieces of criticism to put on this page why'd you pick that one also what's there to reconcile between duke senior and orlando they were buddies from meeting
1: um yeah, that is the problem with these snippets of criticism is that they are by necessity taken out of context right um
0: but apparently the male friend, I mean, but the, the thrust of this sentence huh, um, basically says that male friendship keeps Rosalind's power, quote unquote, contained mm-hmm. in some way. Yeah. Well, we did promise birdwalking today, folks. Yes. We did. So, we did. okay.
1: So the other three plays that were prevented from publication uh-huh. with this are Every Man in His Humor. Which is okay. a Ben Johnson play, yeah, and then Much Ado About Nothing, huh, and Henry V. Wild, yeah, but we know Much Ado
0: did eventually.
1: Well, I think I think it this indicates to us that it's um, it's not content that yeah. uh, makes it unable to be printed. It's yeah, it's, it has something to do with the Lord Chamberlain's men and the, cause these, this came as, these are like a packet of plays, right. That didn't get published. So there's gotta be something, um, with the early modern equivalent of copyright, which is not a thing, but you know, (laughs) who, who owned those plays and who had control over them at that point. Um, Hmm. yeah, because every man in much ado, Henry five and, whatever this play is as you like it (laughs) Uh,
0: (laughs) yes we are still talking ostensibly talking about as you like it today yeah
1: um Uh. like those are that's a weird group of plays yeah you know that don't share a a whole lot of content yeah i'm not even sure if i know every man in i've seen one of the Everymans, but i don't know if that was in or out (laughs) yeah me either um, and it's a weird play, whichever one it is that I have seen. Ben
0: Johnson. Like, what yeah,
1: yeah, that motherfucker.
0: We, that uh, look, we know how I feel about Ben Johnson. We don't
1: need to go down that <laughs> rabbit hole again. Okay. Um, so moving back to what this play is, as you like it, <laughs>
0: and and why this play now.
1: Right. Oh, right. Right. <laughs> that old chestnut. <laughs> I mean, look, okay. I love this play um it is it is consistently I think in my top 10 Mm. um of plays that I love it has been in my top five I don't think it's in my top five right now but you know it's a play that I love um and the the reasons that I love this play are pastoralism (laughs) I'm a sucker for pastoralism um I'm a sucker for the green world uh you know Mm. I don't I suppose I'm ambivalent about pants rolls, although, like, they're fun. But to me, I think this is... You know, we were talking last time about Shrew being a quote-unquote romantic comedy, right? Mm-hmm. Or whether or not it's about romance. Yes. But I think yeah. this play really is a romantic comedy, and I think it really is about romance, right? Like, that—that mm. that is every... I mean, it's about wooing to a certain yeah. extent,
0: right? And like, like teaching one character teaching another how to woo. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you know we we have the the sort of subplots with um, uh, Corin and uh, who does Corin Wait, love? You got, Phoebe. You
0: got uh, it's Silvius who loves Phoebe. Silvius. Silvius. Corin's the old, curmudgeonly shepherd, right? But yes,
1: yes. Yeah. So it's Silvius who loves Silvius who loves Phoebe. Yes, yeah. right. Yeah um
0: and touchstone and audrey Mm -hmm, mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, yeah like there's there's a you know a lot of a lot of love in this play and i think the only characters who really aren't swept up in that are um the evil duke right uh and and perhaps um oliver uh-huh the no brother? oliver
0: and celia fall in love
1: right you know, at the end. they l-
0: liked what they right looked, yes yeah, they yeah. looked what they loved and,
1: yeah so yeah. the evil duke maybe he's the only one who doesn't yeah. really have uh a love story except for with power but that's right. you know power is never gonna love you back right
0: <laughs> you can't duke fuck senior, power duke senior doesn't have a romantic interest except in the countryside itself really
1: yeah you know i can't believe i just said you can't fuck power there's no there's no good way to cut around that so i'm just gonna (laughs) retract you can't fuck power and we're gonna pretend that i didn't say that just because it's a weird thing to say uh and if any of my students are listening you you didn't hear that (laughs) the end so like there's a lot of romance in this play and i think it's joyous and joyful i think it's about discovery and growth and um mm-hmm. joy you know there aren't enough sheep in this play for me but that's fine well, that's what we have the yeah. winner's tale for yeah um
0: audrey has goats there's more yeah. goats in this play than sheep, sheep really. know, goats
1: are fine but they're not yeah. sheep so no. <laughs> um yeah so that's that's what i have to say about that yeah it's
0: uh you know and it's musical for people it who is like musical. that sort it's very of musical thing. yeah
1: five um, five songs you
0: know got cute cute little songs
1: mm-hmm.
0: um which like you know uh I, I don't know i coming out of um pandemic two years of like darkness and terribleness I think people more and more just want sort of happy escapism yeah Yeah. and I think this play provides that and that by itself might be a legitimate enough reason to to produce this play Mm -hmm. you know um just just to spread a little joy rather than leaning into darker stuff but if you want to go there in this play you can to a certain extent right um yeah you know, or with more serious things. I won't. I won't say like darkness, darkness, but like right. You know,
1: more I mean, serious
0: topics yeah. can be addressed.
1: There's Jakes, right? There's yeah. Oh yeah. His curmudgeonry and
0: and and his depression.
1: Mm-hmm, you could say. Mm-hmm. You know, that's yeah. a
0: performance choice, but yeah. You know, his um, melancholy.
1: So I I know that we did a Burbage break on what the Green World is many yes. many thousands of years ago. Back when um, we still did Burbage breaks, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. We exhausted those, but we we got there's like there's a a good number of Burbage breaks. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so there's a Green World in this play. There's Green World in Midsummer. Uh
0: huh.
1: Um, Cymbeline. I think you can uh-huh. argue for a Green World. Uh, what That's other when plays have green worlds?
0: Things are like topsy turvy out in nature, right? Yes, yeah. So As you, opposed when you to leave the, the confines of the
1: city. Yeah, you yeah. you leave behind the the societal order and like structural order. Right. And, you know, you escape into the greenery of the world. You
0: find yourself.
1: Yeah. So, what what <laughs> other plays have green worlds? What other Shakespeare's plays?
0: Uh,
1: uh. Surely it can't just be three. <laughs> Oh, two gents, two gents, two gents.
0: I don't recall forests and two gents.
1: Well, they run away into the forest, and there's the bandits, the banditos. Ah, uh, right.
0: Which I maybe don't is recall much about. Two green world, gents. yeah. No, I, <laughs> all right, hang on. Um, uh,
1: Loves labors. You might argue that the whole thing takes place in the green world because that's true. It's outside the
0: palace walls because yeah. they put those poor ladies in tents outside, and then and then can't stay away from them. Um, yeah, you could make that argument, I suppose. Uh, I feel like Pericles has a bit of it, but at sea, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so what that's about really not the well. green world. That's the blue world. Um, no, there's no forests mm-hmm. in all's well. There is travel. There's a journey, sure. you know. There's there's journeying, yeah. but.
1: I guess also you could make the case that Tempest is entirely I was green gonna world. just
0: going to say, yeah.
1: yeah. Okay, whole, well, so. The whole island, Yeah. So what was my thought about the green world? Oh, um, so this is right. So the, the function of the green world in a play, right. Is you, you, you start in a place of order and restriction, right. Right. And then you go into the green world, um, throwing off the order and restriction, and then you come back to the non green world at the end and like that order and restriction has been rearranged or relaxed into you know a a less orderly and restrictive way right um but that doesn't happen in this play right right? they go to the green world they stay in the green world
0: right they make Um, plans verbally to mm -hmm. go back but you don't see mm -hmm. them going back
1: no and and the sort of the the idea right is to go back um because things have changed right what's his ass gives up the crown
0: yeah, Duke Frederick is, like, converted and he gives yeah, his yeah, yeah. seat back to Duke Senior, to whom it right. rightfully belongs.
1: Yeah, so so there's a, a sense that order is restored. Right. Or is going to be restored. Um, right. But there is no return to that place of order in right. the play.
0: And even some conscious decisions to stay, right? Like uh-huh. Oliver and Celia... Plan to just stay shepherds mm-hmm. and stay in the countryside, mm-hmm. um, and it sort of implied that Orlando and Rosalind will go back because they've both just gotten back their inheritances, basically, right? Right. right. But they don't go back in the play. They, you know, it ends in a marriage, and everybody mm-hmm. stays in the forest for that and moment.
1: That I think is an interesting. Thing. i think that's an anomaly for uh, a play mm-hmm. with a green world but i also think you could use that you know going back to our our long ago question of why this play now yeah. um is is you can use that as a form of escapism or yeah. utopia uh-huh right in in this world this world of 2022 today that is so mm-hmm. fucked up yeah. in so many fucking ways pandemic aside but that choice yeah. to to stay outside yeah. of society is a, yeah. a really interesting one that I think I think you could you yeah. think you could do something with that in performance.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. That's an interesting framing of that. Mm-hmm. I hadn't really thought of it
1: that way. Dr. Jess Hamlet is here with some spicy takes <laughs> no, to make you think. That's, yeah,
0: no, that's um, that could make for a very cool and poignant production choice. Yeah, of like everybody leaving their fucked up lives and and being like, you know what? I'm actually okay out here on this homestead in the country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually I'm good. I'm good. I don't need that mess back yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. Which is yeah, a, that's fucking real, man. Yeah. Whew, that's a constant struggle.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. maybe on that note, uh choose choose your own green world. Yeah. Find find the green world for yourself and yeah. stay there. <laughs> yeah, if you can.
0: Yeah. Stay there as long as you can, if yeah. you can. Yeah, I feel like we have touched on a number of things that, that keep yeah. this play uh appealing and and even relevant yeah to now um yeah. that that would make audiences want to come back to it in 2022 and beyond yeah.
1: yeah
0: good it took us a minute but we got there yeah <laughs> so that i think that's just like the subtitle of this season <laughs> took us a minute but we got it, there it took us a minute but we got there we got yeah. there yeah you know yeah that's yeah Um, shall we, shall we gossip and call it a day?
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So the, the first thing on our list of gossip, which is a short list, uh, this happened yesterday. Um, yeah. Or, uh, yeah, yesterday. Yes. Do, do tell me what's happening
0: here. Ongoing. Yeah.
1: Okay. So, uh, Shakespeare quarterly is quote unquote, the best, uh, Shakespeare journal in the field. Uh huh. I don't subscribe to that view, but many, many, many people do. It is a top uh-huh. tier journal. Um, and uh, most most journals in our field, most journals in most fields, I think, um, publish book reviews. That is mostly what the journal's taken up with or four or five articles, and then just a shit ton of book reviews. Uh-huh. Um, and someone, an anonymous person, uh, has been contracted to write a book review um for shakespeare quarterly and they got on goodreads and left a really terrible review of the book that they are reviewing for shakespeare quarterly um yeah and then now academic twitter is like the fuck (laughs) this is not okay the the goodreads review uh from may 25th 2021
0: two stars nearly a year ago yeah yeah
1: two stars I am reviewing the book for Shakespeare Quarterly, so it would be unfair to say much here beyond the more theoretical critics will like it. I hated almost everything about this book. Whoa. So the academic Twitter um, is now really, really upset with Shakespeare Quarterly um, and are demanding that whoever has been contracted to review this book be pulled off the review and it given to someone else. And yeah, yeah. Um, the The editor of Shakespeare Quarterly is of course Jeremy Lopez, um, who is currently at University of Toronto, and apparently was just over on Facebook like this week soliciting for book reviewers for uh, the Shakespeare Quarterly, because um, mm-hmm. every journal always needs people to review books. But there's there's also been some conversation about. Is that the most democratic way to get people to review books? And, Mm. you know, what are the demographics of the people who are going to be on Facebook versus putting a call out, you know, through official channels or on the the journal's website or whatever? Anyway, um, so it's it's been a kerfuffle Um, And there's been a lot of piling on and um, like
0: there is on Twitter, like there is on
1: Twitter. And then some pushback to that piling on because like the people who review books are often not always, but often grad students or very junior scholars. And, Uh you know, of course, everyone's entitled to their opinions, but even like it's it's just it's it's a little bit outside of how book reviews are generally conducted in our field um even Mm -hmm. if you personally don't like the book you you can't really write a bad review um you know you have to say you know here's a good thing and here's a good thing and if i had to pick a bad thing it might be that this thing but you know then also all of these other good things why Um, is that the convention is that just to keep
0: like to maintain like collegiality status quo or is I that i think
1: i think it's it has to do mostly with fragility? That. is it okay i think it's i i mean yes like it, it it's a lot of because these conventions have been in place since forever not forever but for a long time since before academia was so casualized and so precarious uh-huh. so you can imagine that these conventions were put in place by people who wanted to feel good about themselves and didn't want sure. to have to deal with any criticism. Right. Sure. I'm talking about old white men with a little bit of fragility happening. Yeah. Uh-huh. A little bit. Yeah. Uh-huh. But now those conventions are in place to protect the precarious, to protect people who have been casualized to, mm. you know, protect, because if you, you know, if you are a junior scholar Um, who is working on your first book, who's just published your first book and you, you might have a book or two and still not have a permanent job. Right. And so that book review becomes part of your body of work, you know, any job, that you go up for they're not going to read your book as part of the interview process but they might do a search and find a book review right and if the book review is bad right like that can have consequences for your employment so there there are really good reasons that book reviews are the way they are and frankly most work that's being produced these days is really fucking good you know there sure there's a clunker in every bunch but <laughs> yeah mostly the, the they're really strong books with strong research profiles mm-hmm. that people have poured years into years mm-hmm. i mean you know my my book project i've already spent 3 years on and i'm yeah. going to spend many 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 more years on and yeah that's that's just the way it goes so Mm -hmm. yeah so to to have um to have someone put you on blast and say Mm -hmm. that you you are able to put a poor review of a book in the leading journal uh is really a shitty thing to do yeah so um yeah and mostly the like, this is yeah, it's a two sentence review on Goodreads, but this sounds like I hated it because I didn't understand it, mm. and that's
0: that's not good enough. That's yeah. you showing your ass,
1: yeah. Like, if you like, don't understand it, fine, but then you go back to the review editor and you say, Look, this it all just went right over my head. I don't think yeah. I can write uh, a good review. And not good like positive, but just like of quality. Right. I I thoughtful. Engaging with it. Yeah. I can't engage because I don't understand it. Can I have a different book? The end. Like it's a little embarrassing, but a lot better than being an ass on the internet. So anyway. Um, so that's what happened yesterday on the internet.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, my tiny piece of gossip is more of just like me keeping track of how many times I've been wrong since January and making the, (laughs) how many times, like I've said, Oh, nobody gives a shit about like the Henry four, Henry five sequence anymore. And I've been like continually proven wrong, um, by that with as more and more, um, companies theater companies like announce their seasons and stuff so uh yet another one this is across the pond this is these are our friends at the donmar warehouse uh, and mm-hmm. national theater um in the uk they're doing a production of henry five right the fuck now starring john snow i mean kit harrington as henry which like ugh, snooze fest white dude being english you know like I just, <laughs> like and and like no no shade really to kit harrington i do think he's he's a, a great actor but i just like uh, uh, you know hmm, they don't seem to be doing much with it other than that but um but it is happening and i'm just pointing it out that it's happening like people do actually still care right now about henry V. so and you might be able to see it i think it's coming to um National theater locations, because those things are coming back now, like being able to go to a movie theater and seeing a a broadcast of a play. I think that should be coming um, to us at some point this year. I don't know when, but um, but it is one of those. It's it's one of the national theater uh, things. So so we'll get to see it. And believe me, I, I will. I'll go see it. So, yeah. That's, that's me. That's more of like a correction. <laughs> it's a double, it's a correction and a little tiny piece of theater gossip um, that I have. And that's all it. Right. That's
1: all I got. I don't know who Kit Harrington is. And I think oh. that that's okay. Okay.
0: Well, you, I think you would probably know his face. Like if you Googled his name, like in the, pictures showed up, you'd probably all know. Right. Um, but since you don't watch Game of Thrones, I, I understand. It's like that's Scooby. kind of his biggest, that's his biggest claim to fame is being like a beautiful, broody hero. In, uh, like unlikely um, underdog hero.
1: I do not in, recognize in this man. Oh, really? sorry to oh, this man. man.
0: Well, it's all right.
1: Ooh, um, he's only five eight, is what the internet says.
0: Yeah, he's he's not terribly tall. Um, he's I'm not terribly tall. Real cute though.
1: I'm real um, cute though. I mean, you are. You are. I do know his wife. His wife yes. is on Downton Abbey.
0: Yes, that's right. She was also in Game of Thrones, which is how they met.
1: Well. <laughs> She was also on Downton Abbey, which is yes. clearly the better show. Whoa. <laughs> and that's all, folks. I'm going to uh-huh. have to drive up to Pennsylvania
0: and throttle Jess Hamlet now in yeah, a well. death match about which show is better.
1: Uh, Downton Abbey, duh. Not really.
0: Um, cool. Well, thank you so much for listening, everyone. We hope you leave this podcast thinking deep thoughts about As You Like It. <laughs> and stuff. And I hope that those thoughts sustain you because that's it for this season. This is our season finale. I stole your thunder, but you go ahead and say those That's (laughs) it for this
1: season. (laughs) (laughs) The end. Um, Yeah. So we're, we're done. It is, uh, you know, middle end of March. Um, So it's, it's time uh, for us to focus on, our real jobs uh we 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 will be back in the fall um Mm -hmm. i mean we haven't talked about it but we haven't talked about not doing it so we'll be back in the fall yeah we'll be Uh, back in the fall that's the plan we we're coming back um fall you know being somewhere between august and october (laughs) we'll let you know uh and and it'll we'll have you know more spicy takes on early modern drama so. yeah
0: you know and stay tuned over the summer we have there were a lot of extras that I had to cut out of episodes over this season because we had oh. we had such great conversations with people that went on so long and I had to there were just pieces that had to be cut but I I plan to you know release them throughout uh, Yay. our hiatus time extras in like, yeah and some, some little chunks for you to enjoy so and there are several of those Keep your eyes out for those, or your ears, as it were, Um, because those will be we'll be dropping those periodically during our hiatus. So you won't be without us entirely, because I know everyone is feeling pretty bereft by now. Yes.
1: Uh, Also, you don't ever have to be without us if you follow us on Twitter. That's true. Or do we still say our socials in the end credits? Do we say our personal socials? No. Oh, well, you can follow me on Twitter at Jess Hamlet. If you want to,
0: Jess Hamlet is a delightful follow on Twitter. I am a delightful follow. Am not. (laughs) Yeah, you don't really tweet. I don't tweet. I don't. Yeah. I'm on there. I just don't do it.
1: So you just uh, you know you keep keep abreast of my cooking Mm. and baking. Yeah. And that's what you can find on my Twitter. And also pedagogy. I tweet a lot about pedagogy. So true. Um, You do. Yeah, I guess, like, have a great spring and
0: summer. And yeah. Jump. Go find your green world. Yeah, go and find your green world. stay there for a bit. Yeah. You
1: know, things That's are turning
0: adorable. green again in the northern hemisphere here. Mm-hmm. We're, we're turning into spring. So go find your green world. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. we'll see you in the fall. Yeah,
1: I guess, um, Whamlet out.
0: The Hurley Burley Shakespeare Show is produced and edited by Aubrey Whitlock and Jess Hamlet. If you enjoyed our podcast, please tell your friends, rate us, leave a review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts.
1: For show notes and other stuff, you can visit our website at www.hurlyburlyshakespearshow.com.
0: You can get in touch with us by emailing Holla, H-O-L-L-A at HurleyBurleyShakespeareShow.com
1: You can also find us at Shakes on Instagram or at Shake, no S, on Twitter. The land on which
0: I live and work, colonially known as Stanton, Virginia, is the unceded territory of the Monacan Confederation of Nations, and I pay my respects to their elders past and present.
1: The traditional custodians of the land on which I live are the Lenape Nation, and I pay my respects to their elders past and present. Learn about where you live at native-land.ca get involved at ndncollective.org and find out more about the land back campaign at landback.org all opinions you heard are strictly our own and not affiliated with the institutions we represent
0: yeah that's where gravitas um, comes from oh your booty my bad
1: uh <laughs> anyway
0: if-